You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Um, we have a special opportunity today, as, uh, as Jack uh, mentioned earlier. We have a, a guest preacher with us uh, today. His name is Thomas. Yukich. And uh, there he is. Um, So Thomas is from North Carolina and uh, he's a, he will be a senior at Freed Hardeman, how fast can I spell? There we go. Freed Hardeman University in Tennessee, there we go, Tennessee this year, is that right? In the fall? Yeah, he'll be a senior. Uh, And he's been studying uh, to become a, uh, a, a minister in the church, so studying Bible, and uh, I know he's been studying uh, the Greek language, so he can read the, uh, the New Testament in its original language, and uh, lots, of, lots of other things to prepare himself for, uh, for ministry. And uh, Thomas is uh, intern, a preaching minister, at the Wash, let's see, Washougal, there we go, Washougal Church of Christ near Vancouver. Uh, he's been there, he's been there uh, all summer so far, and uh, we'll stay until, what, about mid-August, right? It's about 12 weeks altogether. Uh, this is his third year to be a part of the Northwest School of Discipleship in Portland. And so this is his third time to be a, a preaching intern, uh, first time in Washougal, and part of his uh, training requires him to go and preach at different churches, so he's preaching at, uh, at, at Washougal nine times this summer, and three times in other places, and we, uh, we got uh, uh, offered the opportunity to, to have him here uh, to preach for us today, and so we're, we're really honored, Thomas, to, to have you here. And so, come on up. Uh, now, Thomas, as you can see there, is married to uh, a woman named Annalise. She's from Oregon, from the, the Portland area. And they just got married two weeks and one day ago. And she's not here, so we're a little bit worried. Um, so we'll talk later, okay? okay. I, I, do, uh, I do premarital counseling. Okay, so no, she, his, his wife is in Alabama uh, this weekend for a friend's wedding, and then she's flying home to, uh, to Portland today, so he'll be driving back to, to Portland uh, tonight to, uh, to pick her up from the, from the airport. So, Thomas, uh, I didn't tell you before, but uh, we, knowing that you were getting, getting married, we took up a little collection and got you... Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Just a, just a little gift for, uh, for you guys to you. just to support you a little bit and to thank you for coming to preach for us and to encourage you as you start your, your life together, you. you and your wife. Thank you. We appreciate that. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll hand things off to you, okay? Lord God, thank you for your great love, and thank you for blessing us with uh, Thomas's presence here today. We thank you for the training that, that he is experiencing and for the ways that you're preparing him uh, for good work in your church in the years ahead. Father, we pray for your, 
your blessing on his message today, that it will encourage us and encourage him. We pray that you would give us all ears to hear your word, hearts to receive it, minds to understand it, and the willing willingness to, to do what you teach us to do. Father, bless his wife, Annalise, as she flies home today. Keep her safe and uh, bring her home at the right time. We pray for your blessing on this new, uh, new couple. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I want to thank uh, Kevin and the elders for giving me this opportunity and for partnering with the Northwest School of Discipleship to, to bring me here. Uh, and I stayed with Kevin and, and Jenny last night, so thank you for, for your hospitality as well. Uh, it has already been a blessing to be here. I taught Bible class this morning, and uh, that was a, a joy um, to teach that and to interact with everyone. And uh, thank you for this as well. We have been on the receiving end of so much uh, generosity. The church has, has been very good to us, so thank you for that. I thought I'd uh, just share a few, uh, few things with you about the Northwest School of Discipleship. Just kind of let you know uh, what that's about, and, and that's the reason I'm here. Uh, so the Northwest School of Discipleship is uh, a school that's designed to help Christians be the best disciples of Jesus that we can be, and it uh, is hosted by the Southwest Church of Christ in Tiger, Oregon. And so it's about uh, two, almost three years old now, and uh, they've got three, uh, three elements to the school. They have classes for everyone. Um, they have classes for, for elders and for parents. Um, they have classes on discipleship in the home and the fundamentals of the faith, and evangelism, and how we got the Bible, and uh, New Testament introduction, New Testament survey, Old Testament introduction, things like that. So they've got classes, and then uh, they have a gap year program for young people, ages 18 through 22, and that program incorporates uh, mentorship, and uh, spiritual formation, and service opportunities, and, and classes, even some college credit classes, and it's nine months, and so those students get a, a host family that they live with for those uh, two semesters, and then um, they get paired with a mentor, and uh, so this fall, I think they have 10 students coming from four states to take, take part in that program. So if you have uh, grandkids or kids that are 18 to 22 and they've graduated, uh, this could be a good opportunity to spend a year uh, putting down roots in their faith and growing in their faith before they go on to uh, college or trade school or the military or or a job or, or anything that they have planned after that. And then uh, the school also has an internship program. And so I'm one of five interns this summer. We're scattered across the Vancouver area and then um, in Portland and, and some suburbs and then uh, one intern is in Central Oregon. And so as Kevin mentioned, part of the internship is to go and, and, and travel and preach other congregations. And so that's uh, how this has been arranged. So if you'd like to, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Yesterday, uh, yesterday I drove, uh, I came from Tacoma, Washington. I was there for a conference uh, called Faith Builders. And uh, so I drove over yesterday, and I had no idea that my drive would be so beautiful. I came over on Route 410 and uh, pretty quickly got out of Tacoma and then there was almost nothing. And then I think I went through a corner of 
uh, Mount Rainier, it was either National Forest or National Park, and Wenatchee National uh, Forest, and it was just gorgeous. Uh, and I came up through a pass, and Mount Rainier was behind me. It was obscured a little bit by clouds, but I could see most of it. And then uh, it came up over the pass and came down, and it started getting more dry. And then this valley is beautiful. It was really just a, a, a beautiful drive. I haven't been this, this part of, of Washington yet. I've only been up the, the coastline on, on Highway 5 and up the gorge a little bit. And I was reminded of the fact that it is important to keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> That's pretty basic, right? Uh, but I, was, I wound up stopping several times so I could just get out and, and take pictures and, and stare at the scenery because I was driving and like, trying to look at Mount Rainier behind me and, oh, that's probably not a good idea. Should I, I should keep my eyes on the road. And so I stopped several times and, and took it all in. But it really is important to be looking in the right direction, isn't it? Uh, recently, I was out of the country and I uh, was in England where they drive on the left side of the road. And that's uh, interesting but uh, I didn't drive, so I didn't have to make that adjustment. But as a pedestrian, I, I didn't plan on it being so challenging because I would go to cross a street, and we are accustomed to looking to our left to see a car driving on the right side of the road. Well, the cars aren't coming from the left. The cars are coming from the right because they're driving on the left side of the road as, from, from their point of view. And so I'd come up to a crosswalk and look left as I'm stepping out and then realize that there's a car coming from that way. So it's important to be looking in the right direction. And something as simple as driving on the other side of the road really threw me off. Uh, how about in sports? It is important to be looking in the right direction. Have you ever seen someone uh, miss a pass or, or miss a, a catch because uh, something else was going on and, and their attention was somewhere else other than on the ball or, or the player passing it to them and they missed a pass? Sometimes that has uh, particularly bad consequences if it you know, end of the game or something like that. It is important to be looking in the right direction. Spiritually, it is also important to be looking in the right direction. And by that, I mean uh, where our focus is, what we're paying attention to, where our, our attention and energies are going, what are we looking at, and what are we focusing on. That makes the difference in our personal lives between a growing faith and a stagnant faith. If we are looking at the things we should be looking at and, and paying attention to the things we should be paying attention to, our faith will grow. If, our, if, our, if the eyes of our heart are, so to speak, turned towards other things, we very well may uh, stagnate in our growth. And also as a church, what we uh, as individuals in the church and, and as the church collectively are looking at makes a big difference. It can make the difference between a growing church and, once again, between stagnation. It is important that we are looking at the right things and focused on the right things. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, there are some principles that uh, have to do with where we're looking, so to speak. What are we paying attention to? What is our focus? Where are our energies being spent? And these principles uh, are better than any uh, any church life um, book that you could, could buy in the secular world, the advice in 1 Peter 5 is better than any human church expert can give you. These are God's instructions uh, that have to do with how the church relates and how we get along and, and how our focus uh, needs to be uh, on the same, same things. And together, when we do that, and we're following these principles, we'll glorify God as the church that he wants us to be.
So 1 Peter chapter 5, let's uh, go ahead and read. I'll read for you from uh, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory, uh, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I think in this passage, uh, there are, are seven principles for where we should be looking. And if we follow those principles, uh, it will help us to be a church that glorifies God. Uh, first, Peter speaks to the elders. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort uh, to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Now, uh, that's, a, that's a command, to shepherd. Um, that is a command that Peter is giving them. And in each one of these, uh, the first six of these uh, are all commands. And then the seventh point at the end uh, is, is more of an exhortation. But this is a command, the first one of many. And Peter is speaking to the elders and saying, shepherd the flock which is among you. Now, uh, if I say it, you know, I I can read Peter's words, but if I say it for myself, I have to say it this way. I, who am not an elder, exhort you to shepherd the flock. Uh, I'm obviously not an elder, not qualified for that. Um, But I don't stand here with, with my authority, but with Peter's, just to tell you what he is saying, to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. The role of the shepherd is to diligently care and provide for the spiritual needs of the people in the church. Uh, The role of the elder, uh, of course, they they are involved in in much that goes on in the church. Uh, They'll they'll have their hands in in many things in the life of the church. Uh, But the role is primarily not to uh, run the administrative side of things or the business side of things. Those are important, and those have to happen in the life of a healthy church. But their focus to shepherd and to guide, is on the spiritual needs of the people, to, to pray with people, to, to teach people, to encourage and to build up and to strengthen. To respond to these spiritual needs is the role of the, elder, of the elders. Peter says um, that the elders should serve, um, they have oversight, and that it's not by compulsion. Uh, no one can force you to be an elder, uh, but that they are to do it eagerly. And not to have a domineering attitude, he says in verse 3, over those in your charge. But they are examples. 
The elders are men that we can look up to. Uh, they have that office because they are, are godly men that we look up to, and they have uh, that role as being an example. At times, their role is proactive, feeding and, and foreseeing what could be an issue and, and preparing for that. At times, reactive. Something has happened in the life of the church that needs a response, and, and the elders are called to lead through that time. At times, their role is directive, visionary. This is the way we should go. At times, it is corrective. No, that's not the way we should go. We need to go this way. That is the role of the elders. And the result, I believe, when the elders lead and when the elders feed, the result is a fed and cared for flock. I believe that in general, uh, if the shepherds feed, the the sheep will eat, so to speak. Uh, If shepherds lead and tend and and spread a feast, the church will come and feast on on that spiritual food. And so, uh, elders, I would just encourage you to continue to care for the souls of the flock, to continue to care for the spiritual needs of the flock. And um, may your concern not be merely for the, the... administration, the running of the church, but may it be for the souls of the men and women in your care. And also to train other men in godliness so that they too uh, can lead their families and perhaps one day be elders as well. I unapologetically believe that God's way is best. And God has ordained for the church to be led by, uh, by godly men, by elders who have this role of shepherding the flock. Peter says to the elders, look after the flock. That is where their attention is to be, on the flock, to guide and to fulfill their role. So look after the flock. But number two, Peter says to everyone else, specifically to the younger people in verse 5, essentially he says, look up to your elders. So elders, look after the flock. And Christians, look up to your elders. Peter says in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so our role, in turn, is to, uh, to submit to them and to let them lead. They cannot uh, force, our, force us to follow. Um, they cannot force our, our submission. And so it is our, our gift that, that God asks us to give to the elders, to submit to their leadership. Christians, I would encourage you to go to your elders and, uh, and go to them as resources for spiritual guidance. Ask them for, for guidance, for advice. Um, let them know how they can pray for you and, and ask them to pray for those things. Let them know that you're praying for them too. And let them know that uh, you, you have their back. You, are, you, are, you will follow them. Uh, you respect their role as elders. And, uh, and, and share with them things on your mind. Share with them uh, what God is doing in you and what you're learning and the things you're growing in. Don't, uh, don't make the elders send out a survey, a formal survey to, to find out things from you, uh, go to them and let them know how you're growing and, and how they can help support you in your growth and godliness. So that's our role to submit to our elders. And the result, when we submit and let the elders lead, is that the elders can lead with joy. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, Hebrews author says that we should uh, submit to our elders uh, so that they can lead with joy. The opposite is, is not profitable if we're at a, uh, butting heads with our elders and, and not really following them, then that makes their job uh, hard and it, it steals their following away from them and it will not be joyful for them. So let us submit to our elders and, and let them lead us. Look up 
to your elders. And number three, look across to a brother or a sister. In verse five, in the second half, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to ask you right now, look, look across at someone uh, sitting on the other side of the auditorium. Look across to a brother or sister. Peter is asking us uh, to, to clothe ourselves with humility. That brother or sister you just looked at is not your enemy, is not the competition. Uh, he or she may have different skill sets and, and different roles to fill, different gifts, but he or she is not the competition. Peter is asking us, he's commanding us to, to be submissive to each other and to have that attitude of uh, humility toward one another. Peter reminds us that if we refuse to humble ourselves in the church and in our dealings with brothers, not only will we alienate our, our brothers and our sisters from us, but we will alienate ourselves from God. He quotes from the Old Testament and says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think it's interesting that that verse, that quote from the Old Testament, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, is quoted not once but twice in the New Testament. That's one of the, one of the few Old Testament passages that gets quoted twice. Perhaps that says something about how important it is. And so if you want to, if you want to go at Lone Ranger, and if you want to be by yourself and not have your brothers and sisters or God on your side, then be prideful. But Peter commands us to exercise humility towards one another. And in that way, God will give us his grace and we will develop quality relationships with our brothers and sisters. Uh, But it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes to be humble, uh, to to think less of ourselves and um, to to be more concerned with other people. I remember a couple years ago, I went uh, to a camp at Bear Valley Bible um, or Bear Valley Church of Christ in, in Bear Valley, Denver. And uh, I went three times. And I think it was the second or third year, so I was returning. And at the first, the first night of the camp, I was sitting with some of the younger campers. And I said, uh, Trayton, um, were you here last year? I, I kind of thought he was, but I couldn't really remember. And he said, I was. I was here last summer. He said, I didn't hang out with you much, though, because I thought you were full of yourself. And he said it very, uh, just very plainly and simply. He didn't, he didn't mean to, um, to you know, cut me down or anything by that. Just said it very simply. I, I thought you were full of yourself, so I didn't hang out with you much. Uh, but it really, uh, I remember it very well. I remember exactly where we were sitting in the building. And it made an impact because I think he was right. And so uh, it is something that, um, I certainly struggle with, and perhaps you do, uh, too. It can be hard to have that attitude of humility towards other people. But it's not something we get to choose. It's a command that we exercise humility. Uh, and so look across to a brother, look across to a sister, and, and be humble uh, and recognize that we are both and all fellow servants of God. Fourth, uh, look past yourself. Look past yourself. Uh, in verse 6, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We are 
not the only thing in the world. We're not the most important thing in the world. The world doesn't revolve around us. Uh, but sometimes I act like it does. And so Peter says, humble yourselves. Look past yourself. You, don't be so, so wrapped up in yourself and so consumed with yourself that that's your primary concern. Look past yourself and look and see that the mighty hand of God uh, is in your life. God is working in your life and, and His hand is mighty. And by comparison, we realize that we are not. We may plan our lives, we may plan everything, uh, but without the Lord to establish our plans, they're nothing. Look past uh, yourself and, and see that God has His hand in your life. Have you ever met someone with just huge hands? Uh, there's an elder at the church that I go to when I'm at school, and his hands are just massive. He, he's some sort of a um, technician at a mill, and he works with his hands a lot. He's got, I guess, I don't know how his dexterity is, but he's certainly got the strength for it and the grip for it. His hands are enormous. God's mighty hand is so much bigger. And God's mighty hand is, uh, is in our lives, working. Um, we, are, we are really not all that. Uh, we are meek, and, and we need God in our lives. So look past yourself. Look to the hand of God at work in your life. And number five uh, comes from verse eight. Look out for the devil. Peter says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, uh, not just one command, but two. Be sober. Be sober-minded, uh, that is, and be watchful. So look out for the devil. We have to remember that this life that we're in is, is not, uh, it's a war. It's not just some walk in the park. It is a war, and the enemy is uh, not your brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly, but it's not even, not even your neighbors or the people in the world around us with uh, liberal and ungodly agendas. It's, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Uh, and he may have people in his grasp, uh, but that does not make them the enemy. That means that they have been caught by the enemy. And so we need to look out for the devil and, and be alert and be on watch for him. If we're going to work together as the church, we need to make sure that we are clear on who the enemy is, that it is the devil and not uh, anyone else or anything else. So look out for the devil. And number six, Peter says, look around the world. In verse nine, he says, resist him, the devil, that is, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I find it interesting that his argument for uh, resisting the devil includes kind of raising up our head and looking around and seeing that we're not the only ones engaged in combat with the devil, but that we have a brotherhood throughout the world and that they are experiencing the same struggle against the, the wicked one. Today, uh, we are fortunate to live in a place where the struggle against, the, against Satan and against his forces uh, doesn't involve uh, much persecution of us the way it does in some other parts of the world. 
And so I think it's very important that we look around and consider our brotherhood around the world. And think of the Christians um, in other countries. If, if you've not had the chance to talk to Christians who live in, in Muslim countries, uh, they've got some stories um, that, that probably most of you and I, um, most of us don't have. They are, are very aware of that battle in a very forceful and, and physical way. And so uh, we should look around and consider our brothers and our sisters because we will derive encouragement from that. We will derive encouragement to, to be firm in the faith, he says, when we see their firmness in the faith. And then number seven, look up to God. Peter kind of sums up all of, all of these uh, commands with an exhortation in verse 10 um, and 11. It focuses our mind on God. He says, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so if we get one thing right, let's get this right. That we look to God and that we look up to him as our provider, our creator, uh, our sustainer. We belong to him twice over because he created us in the first place. And then when we rebelled against him, he redeemed us too. And so we are his. Let our focus, our, our gaze, our attention, everything be centered on God. And that won't be easy. Really, none of this is easy. In fact, this verse, verse 10, um, is, is, I think, one of the theme verses in, in the entire book of First Peter. First Peter is about uh, suffering and glory. And uh, flip over to chapter 1, chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 7. This is kind of where that theme of suffering and glory starts. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter had just said that you have an inheritance laid up for you. And he's saying you're rejoicing about that, to know that you have an inheritance that is unfading and and unperishable, is reserved for you in heaven. But you're also grieved by trials for a little time. And then he reminds them that those are so that their faith may be genuine, and so that at the end of time, when Jesus is revealed, that that faith that's been tried and tested results in praise and glory and honor. Suffering, then glory. And throughout the book, Peter points our minds to Jesus, who first suffered on the cross, and then was was raised, then ascended to heaven to be glorified. Suffering, then glory. And so when we go back to 1 Peter 5, he says, "After, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will will establish and strengthen and settle you. Suffering and glory. While we are in this life of, of suffering and, and toil, let us follow these exhortations of Peter. Elders, look after the flock. Christians, look up to the elders. Look across to a brother and a sister. Look out. Uh, look past ourselves. Look out for the devil. Uh, 
look around to our brotherhood and look up to God. Now, this week I learned something about uh, Yakima that you, you may well know. When Yakima was first built, uh, it was um, a little bit south of where the town center is now. And when the Union Pacific Railway was built through this area, they bypassed the town by a little bit. And so the people said, well, uh, we'll know, we know what we'll do. And they put a building on rollers and dragged it with a team of horses to the new depot on the railway. And then they did it again and again and again. And they moved over 100 buildings to the new depot. They just moved their town. And uh, now the original site of Yakima is called Union Gap. And now Yakima is up here. They were determined, right, to do what it takes. If, if you didn't bring our rail, the railway to our town, we will bring our town to you. That's determination. And, and may we have the same sort of determination to keep our gaze and to keep our focus on God and on nothing else. What a beautiful thing it is when a church follows these things. Uh, dissension and, and jealousies and, and conflicts and strife won't have a place when we are looking out for the devil and when we're not focused on ourselves, but focused on a brother and a sister, and when we're focused on God. And so I want to thank you for your faithfulness in a culture that is, uh, is not Christian, in a culture where it takes intentionality to be faithful and to be uh, active in the church. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I would just remind us all, in closing, that uh, these principles in First Peter remind us of the struggle that happens in each one of us. The lines between uh, good and, and evil are not drawn down the middle of us and one of us is for one side and the other. The lines of that fight are drawn right through the heart of each one of us. Because within each one of us, we find a struggle. Will we submit to God or will we submit to the devil? Who will sit on the throne of my heart? And uh, what we are looking at, again, what we are putting our attention and our focus on will determine who sits on the throne of our heart. Will it be God or will it be uh, our adversary? Let's uh, commit to following those principles in First Peter and we will strengthen our, our spiritual lives individually and as a church and God will be glorified. If you uh, need prayers for encouragement for any one of those things, uh, we would love to pray with you and encourage you today. If you have any need, please come forward while we stand and sing.